You're listening to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer, where we discover what it looks like to follow God and be swept away on the journey of a lifetime. Author of over 70 books, mom of 10, yes, 10, homeschooler and speaker, Trisha Goyer will explore what radical obedience to God's word looks like. It's time to hear from God lovers who've dared to say yes. Listen in to heart-to-heart chats and learn how others overcame doubts and fears. Discover how God used ordinary people to impact others one step at a time. If you're ready to get radical, get going, and make a difference in this world, you're at the right place. Here's your host, prolific writer, world traveler, people lover, and mega nap taker, Trisha Goyer. Well, friends, I am so excited on Walk It Out today to be talking with one of my sweet friends, Michelle Cachette. Um, We're going to be talking about her new book, Relentless, The Unshakable Presence of a God Who Never Leaves. Michelle is an experienced communicator. She speaks internationally, which Michelle and I get to speak internationally together, which I loved. Um, But Michelle is also the survivor of a three-time survivor of head and neck cancer. And she's the parent of children from hard places. Let me just tell you, when Michelle and I were together in South Africa, we talked a lot about this. But Today, I'm so excited to have Michelle here. Um, welcome, friend. And I cannot wait to dig into this oh. book because, I mean, there's so much that I want to talk about. <laughs> oh, thank you, Trisha. I have, I've been looking forward to this simply because it seems like we have to go to the other side of the world to actually talk and see each other. So this was kind of selfishly my time to hang out with you. So we're just going to have a few hundred thousand. I don't know how many people listened into our conversation. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, since we can't fly to South Africa today, I guess we could do it this <laughs> We'll have to do it remotely. <laughs> oh, but this book, I was telling you before we start recording, that it's just what I need because we are going through such a hard season with, um, you know, some of our adopted kids. And I know, I mean, you've had hard season upon hard season, mm-hmm. but just start by sharing, like, what was your heart behind writing this book? Because I needed it. I know God's like, yeah. Michelle, write this for Trisha. She needs it right <laughs> now. Um, but what was your heart behind writing Relentless? Well, uh, and my history of faith. So I've, I be, my parents became Christians when I was just a few months old. So, so although faith was new to my parents' experience when they were in their mid twenties, I've never known a life without faith. So my faith, my love of Jesus, my um, belief in the Bible and God's existence and His love for me—that's been consistent as long as I can remember. However, uh, when I hit my twenties. I uh, entered in an extended season of significant and consecutive losses. In other words, about about 25, 28 years of unrelenting hard circumstances, one thing after another, everything from uh, an unexpected divorce from a person, a pastor, um, single motherhood, then remarriage and step family, blended family, then, um, which is, I mean, I could write a a whole series of books on that right there. Uh, And then three-time cancer diagnoses, and then foster adoption of three kids from significant trauma, from serious abuse, neglect. And in the middle of all of that, my dad I was diagnosed with terminal cancer and died in 13 months uh, and multiple other things that I, you know, I, I rarely even talk about publicly, like church splits and, you know, all kinds of significant, very traumatic events. And it's been one thing after another for about 25 years. And so over the course of that, uh, it started to rattle my faith. And it wasn't so much that it wasn't so much a why me question because suffering is everywhere. So suffering is, you know, you don't have to look very far around the globe to find significant suffering. So it wasn't so much of a 
why me? But it was more the unrelenting nature of it. And why wouldn't God bring relief? And why pray if he doesn't seem to do anything about it? And so there was this question of either God isn't real or he's not good and can't be trusted. Or, and this is what I finally landed on, I must have done something to make him mad because obviously he doesn't care about me. And I, I think that question, I mean, when you finally get to that point, and I think after we adopted these kids from hard, hard places, which just, you don't realize the dailiness of it unless you're going through it, which is the the trauma just shows itself in such hard ways. And I found myself over the last six months, like, like, God, I thought you loved me. Like, why did you let this happen? Like, we're just trying to follow you. And I know with you, like, we're just trying to do what you ask. So why is all this hard stuff happening? So, you know, I had had cancer one time, eight months after my first cancer diagnosis is when we got the phone call about the kids. And within 24 hours, we drove to another state and picked them up. Well, in my mind, you know, God had delivered me from cancer. I was going to serve him by loving on these, these marginalized kids who needed somebody to love them and advocate for them. And so then when cancer came back a second time and then a third time, and then my dad died, it was this, Mm -hmm. hold the phone, God, you know, I'm doing this for you. Right. <laughs> I'm raising these kids. I'm loving these kids. Can't you, you know, cut me a break? What's going on? I, you know, and there was a little bit of self-righteousness in that of, hello, I'm, you know, I'm serving you, God. I'm trying to do what's right. Why would you do this to me? Yeah, that's me. That, I'm like right there with you, <laughs> Michelle. It's like, I'm just trying to do what you ask. And I love how you talk about like, we think that if we're being good, like, first of all, we expect that if God wants us to be good, like that's what we think to mm-hmm. get God's love, we have to be good. But then we are being good. We're trying to do the good things. So God should make our lives yeah. easy. And so yeah, that when he doesn't do, we're like, we're holding up our end of the bargain. Why aren't you doing yours? <laughs> yes. But I also love how you talk about just the lessons that we learn through pain that we can't learn any other way. And if, I mean, Yes, we've I've, I've turned to God more and more because I'm so desperate for Him, uh-huh. but it's also such a hard place to be. So yes. to talk about this, because I know my listeners out there too, I mean they're feeling like God, are you there? You're not answering my prayers. This is really hurtful. I mean mm-hmm. all these questions, and I know you talk about the twelve stones and um, a memorial of God's relentless presence. So just share whatever you want to share with that, just to give us hope right now. Cause yes. I know there's some of us that are just clinging and need that hope. Well, some of our disillusion, you know, one of the things that you and I have to wrestle, wrestle with is that some of our disappointment and disillusionment is in God is really at heart, more of us coming to terms with false theology. Mm. Right. And mm-hmm. yeah, nobody wants to hear that, but it's true that we've kind of bought into a, you know, even if we don't consider ourselves uh, buyers of the prosperity gospel, there's still an element of that in all of us where we think God wants us to be good to in order for him to love us. I'm good. So why doesn't he give me everything I want? Uh, and that's, you know, kind of at heart, prosperity gospel kind of mentality. And so so behind all of that is this false theology that says, if I do everything right, then God's on the hook to give me everything I want. And that's really not what the divine human relationship is all about. So once we come to terms with this awareness of some false theology that we've built our faith on, uh, we start to realize that 
uh, the, the divine human relationship isn't transactional. We want it to be transactional. So much of our relationships are transactional, right? And so we want to do the same with God. And so for me, part of the process was going, wait a second, wait a second. Have I had the wrong expectations here? Uh, and if you start looking through scripture, you start to realize that pain and suffering is throughout the pages of scripture. It's everywhere. In fact, Jesus himself was a man of suffering. That's what scripture calls him, a man of suffering, uh, a man of sorrows. Uh, his whole entire purpose of exiting heaven and coming to earth was to suffer and die. Uh, and so, and he was good, right? So if we, we take that same formula, if I'm good, God will love me and give me what I want. Jesus was good in the perfect sense. He was everything. He was perfection. And yet suffering was not withheld from him. And so that makes you start to wrestle with, uh, you know, maybe the worst thing that could happen to me isn't suffering or death, but a lack of trust in God, no matter what. Maybe what's really at stake here is not my comfort, but my faith. Oh my goodness. Okay. You're digging right in there, dude. And I think it's so important that we can have faith, even though we don't know why, why we are going through this, why yeah. things can't be easier. We can still have faith and trust in God. And that's really where I've landed on. And your, your book is helping me with that too. It's just about having that faith without having to have all the answers. Yes. And also normalizing our questions and our moments of doubt. I think uh, historically, we as Christians haven't done a very good job of making space for people's honest, hard questions. We think that if we have doubts or questions, that that is mutually exclusive to faith. Like you can't have faith and doubt at the same time. You are one or the other. So if I have any questions I can't answer or any doubts or concerns or or moments of disillusionment, then I must be a bad Christian. I must not be a person of faith. And yet, um, you know, the irony is it's, it's actually our questions and doubts that cause our faith to dig deeper roots. Uh, mm -hmm. Frederick Buechner said that doubt is, the, doubt is the ants in the pants of faith. It keeps it moving. Oh, wow. And so if we can start to normalize and allow ourselves to have moments of question and doubt without adding shame on top of it, then those moments of question and doubt and wrestling actually becomes not an obstacle to our faith, but a means of a deeper faith. Right. Right. And I think what the enemy wants to do, and I'm not the person that's like an enemy around every bush type of thing, but our pain separates. And I think our hardship, I mean, because others don't understand, I mean, just the the hardships of having kids from hard places is we're just home a lot. We cannot, you know, like we can't do all the things because we're just dealing with mm -hmm. this trauma and this outburst and all that. So it separates naturally, but I think also we feel like we're the only ones. So we almost don't depend on other people or we almost feel separated from God. Um, mm -hmm. And you talk about in the beginning of your book, like being in your basement and hearing life going on above you um, with your family and, and pain separates. And I would love you to talk about that because I think so many people, they pull inward instead of, you know, even in their pain, being able to turn to God and to others. Yeah. Pain is very much an isolating experience. And I'm talking both physical pain as well as emotional pain. So during my last 
bout of cancer to give context. Uh, so the third time cancer came back, it came back even more aggressive and serious and significant than ever before. Uh, it was cancer of the tongue, squamous cell carcinoma of the tongue. Uh, at that point, it had come back three times. And so the doctors had to take extreme measures. They uh, basically gave me two weeks to get my affairs in order, put me in the hospital, mm. did a nine-hour surgery where they removed two-thirds of my tongue, cut my neck open about six to eight inches to take out uh lymph nodes in my submandibular gland. They cut open my arm about 13 inches to take out tissue and vessels to help rebuild my tongue and my neck. Also cut open my leg. I was in the ICU for a few days, hospital for a week. And after about three to four weeks of recovery, then they started external radiation and chemotherapy. So, you know, three to four weeks is not much time to recover from that extensive of a surgery. And now you're going to burn that part of your body, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so by the time all was said and done, I had third degree burns from nose to chest. I had a a feeding tube for five months, a tracheostomy for almost two. I had to learn how to eat and drink and swallow and talk again. I had to have a speech pathologist help me learn to not choke to death on, a, mm -hmm. on ice chips, on a glass of water. Uh, and in the middle of all that, my physical pain, you can imagine the kind of burns that were inside and out. My vocal cords didn't even function for about a month. Uh, during the course of that, my physical pain was so extensive that I was on fentanyl. We now are more familiar with fentanyl, but back then it wasn't quite as um, popularized. We didn't hear as much news about it. But fentanyl is an opioid narcotic up to 50 times more potent than heroin. So we're talking a pretty significant wow. reliever. I was on that 24 hours a day for five months. On top of that, I had liquid morphine when the fentanyl wasn't strong enough, and it still did not take the pain away. I was in so much pain. Even with all of that pain meds, there were days where I was writhing on the couch because I was in so much pain. So, so when you're in that kind of physical suffering or emotional suffering, you feel completely isolated. I tell you that whole story really to give you context for I understand how pain isolates. Uh, nobody could do anything about my pain. Nobody could enter in and make me feel better. I felt so completely alone and abandoned in my suffering. And I know there are people dealing with emotional pain that is just that significant too. Uh, and so what do we do there? And, you know, the funny thing is, is that pain is Pain is the loudest voice in the room. So even if there's other voices around, all you can hear is pain's voice. And so it's so important that before pain happens, that we establish an, what I call an arsenal of evidence of God's mm -hmm. presence that we can look at, that we can, can see and touch and remember. So that way when pain starts screaming, we have something to actually look at to remind us of God's love and affection, even when we fear he's left us. And that's really what I talk about in Relentless is the story of Joshua and the altar stones in the book of Joshua. Uh, God delivered the Israelites through the Jordan River. It was a raging Jordan River. They were on their way to the promised land. They had escaped slavery in Egypt. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. M you know, most of their group had died. They were on their way to the promised land, like this dream place that God said he was going to give them. And they had to go through this raging river that was going to drown them. And God ended up parting the river and they could walk through on dry ground. But when they got to the other side, very similar to the story of the Red Sea, when they got to the other side, however, God said, I'm not done yet. Mm 
he sent 12 of them back into the middle of the Jordan River where the priests were holding the Ark of the Covenant and had them pull out 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan. These were big stones, not like pebbles, but stones they had to carry on their shoulders. Stones that they would have never seen or had access Mm -hmm. to without having to cross something difficult. Wow. The only way they could have seen or had access to those stones were to go through something difficult that God had delivered them through. So he has them go back, uh, you know, it's almost like you can almost picture them looking back in time over their shoulder, seeing God's faithfulness and crossing that river. And then he had them set up those stones as a visible remembrance of God's deliverance. And very much he was telling them, I want you to have this here because you're going to have more hard times up up ahead. And when that happens, I want you to be able to look back and remember, if, if God delivered me then, he will deliver me again. That is so good. And I mean, just the fact that I, I just got goosebumps when you said that they never would have access, had access to those stones unless they'd gone through the hardship. And I think in the middle of the hardship, we do find those stones, but we often don't recognize them until you know later. Um, and like, I love how we could look back and say, oh God, I'm so thankful that your presence was there. And I think that's the whole thing about Relentless is sitting in God's presence and realizing that it's not a God of judgment. He's a God of mercy. And yeah. it's all about all about his presence and that he will never leave us. That's what's so beautiful of that story, because God could have caused the Jordan to pile up at a distance without the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant into the middle of it. But it was so symbolic. The Ark of the Covenant back then was the tangible evidence of God's presence. God's presence was said to to hover over the mercy seat, which was the cover over the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark of the Covenant was this holy, tangible evidence of God's presence with them. And so God has them carry that Ark to the center of the Jordan. And it's so symbolic because he wants them to know, it's my presence that carried you through. It wasn't your skill. It wasn't your strength. It wasn't your talent. It wasn't even your faith. It was my presence that carried you. Mm-hmm. And I have to remind that all the time because I'm such a, I'm such a doer. You know, mm-hmm. I, I say I trust God, but really I trust my own ability to make things happen and work hard and figure it out and gut through. And what I learned through my extended season of suffering is that you do finally arrive in a place where you don't have the strength to bootstrap yourself through anymore. And when that happens, when you finally reach the end of your own fight, you realize that God's presence is really what you needed most of all. It's him that carries us through, not us. Yeah, I love that. And I think both you and I, Michelle, are like, we could do it. We could write the books. We could speak. We could travel. We could happen (laughs) until we can't. And I I mean, I've always been able to write through anything. I'm writing at football games. I mean, I'm just writing. I have my computer with me everywhere until I get to the point where I'm so emotionally, spiritually just feel drained from, you know, dealing with the hard stuff. I'm like, okay, I found the end. (laughs) But God is still there. Like, I I got to the end of myself, but God was there. I had somebody ask me on a radio interview a couple of months ago, and she said, so basically what you're telling me is that you crawled your way back to faith. Hmm. And I said, I wish I could take that much credit. I didn't have even enough strength to crawl. The, The hard, ugly truth of it is he literally carried me every step of the way. I had no ability to fight my way back. It was all him, 100%. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so tell us about that that presence in the midst when we are 
at the end of ourselves. I love you. One of the quotes is you have say is presence lends us the courage to persist. So tell us about that presence you found that gives you courage. Yes. Well, you and I both know having, you know, as we're in the process of raising kids from trauma, that the biggest indicator of healing from significant childhood trauma is the presence of one stable, significant other. Every, you know, every trauma professional will tell you what a child who has attachment needs or um, is recovering from abuse, neglect, whatever, what they need is safe relationship. Mm -hmm. And those who have at least one significant, safe, stable relationship are much more likely to heal and have a healthy, productive adult life uh, as a result of that one safe, stable relationship. Well, what's so fascinating to me is that the entire story of the gospel is one of humanity being marked by trauma and God determining to be the one safe, stable, Mm. significant other that rescues us. Oh my goodness. I totally just got goosebumps on that. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, the whole gospel from beginning to end, trauma happened in the Garden of Eden, separation, relationship break. And then you see the whole Old Testament up until today is humanity functioning from a place of trauma. I mean, we you see how we react and respond. You see how people get... I mean, you can see it on social media every day, how people are responding and reacting and uh, attacking from a place of woundedness. And God saw from day one, when you go back to the beginning after the garden, that we needed someone that would push in and be present with us, even though we didn't deserve it. And it started with a covenant with Abraham where God cut this covenant saying, I, I will take care of you. I will give you, I will, I will bless you. And what's so interesting about the covenant is uh, it wasn't a contract where Abraham was half responsible and God was half responsible. God said, no, I'm going to be responsible for my half and I'm going to be responsible for your mm-hmm. half. Yeah, because we don't have anything. And I think that's mm-hmm. really pain, we realize when we're in the middle of it, we realize, okay, I have nothing to give. And until we get to that dark, painful place where we have nothing, we always feel like I'm doing something. I'm giving something. We fool ourselves into thinking, hey, I'm I'm doing my part until you get to that place. I think that's probably one of the biggest gifts for my season of suffering is finally having to come face to face with the reality that um, God's the heavy lifter here. I bring nothing to the party. He brings everything. And what I love through Relentless is that you take it through that story of the Bible, the Bible story, um, you know, from the garden through the smoking fire pot and blazing torch about God's presence throughout the Bible and that how God is there and what he is providing each step of the way and then applying it to our lives. Um, and I think that is so meaningful. Just you did such a beautiful job of sharing the gospel story from that place, from showing our brokenness and God's just pouring everything mm-hmm. into us. And, and yeah, it's, it's something that we never would have gotten until we like got to the end of ourselves. And I just yes. love how you share that. Uh, John Piper says, don't begrudge the school of suffering. Uh, and it's so interesting. The American mentality is that anytime you feel discomfort, you need to find a pill or an activity or a strategy to fix it. And yet suffering is the one thing that brings us um, on our face before God and recognition of how much we've been given. It's really the path to freedom and uh, and hope and relationship that we actually need. It's just not 
comfortable. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. not fun. Um, but they're so, oh boy, the riches. You know, Isaiah talks about the secrets in darkness, the riches. I think it's Isaiah, maybe it's Jeremiah. The secrets in darkness, the, rig- the riches hidden in, in hidden places. And uh, suffering is that. It's this place where you think there's an absence of any goodness, and yet there are riches there if you have the eyes to be able to see them. Yeah. And I know, uh, Michelle, one of the things that you said has been a gift to you is being able to have people approach you who are in those painful places that they know you understand. I mean, we have these conversations and I know I've had conversations with other people who are in pain because we are there and we need to have that companionship on the journey. So, you know, I know you've looked into the eyes of people that are just broken Mm -hmm. down. Um, And I know listeners right now are the same way. As we wrap this up, what just message of hope do you want to give to someone that I know you've looked into their eyes before that just needs something to cling to um, in their moment of of hardship? Well, for those who are in truly a a place of uh, utter darkness and hopelessness, first of all, I, I get it. You're not alone. You feel like you are. Um, you aren't, uh, there's nothing wrong with you. You haven't made God angry. He's not withholding his love from you. You are more loved right now than you could possibly imagine. But pain right now is the loudest voice in the room. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just, I, you know, the one encouragement for the person that's at the end of their rope is to find, uh, one verse, one thing to hang on to that's a fact that you could hang on to even when your feelings try to convince you of something otherwise. And one of them, there's a couple that have been that for me. One of them is Romans 8, 35 through 39. What then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither present, nor the future, nor any power, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from God's love in Christ Jesus. I mean, just, I mean, he went through the whole list, nothing, no amount of pain, not even your own death will separate you from God's love. It is that certain. Uh, the other verse that I hang on to, which is much shorter, is John fourteen eighteen. It's Jesus's words. And he simply says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Is there anything more horrific than feeling orphaned? I mean, to feel orphaned, that's what pain does. It makes us feel orphaned. And Jesus is saying, I see your pain. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come for you. And, and bank on that. I mean, just bank on that. There is a God who has been who has been orchestrating all of history and the present in order to ensure that he can be with you and you with him. His whole desire from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is for him to be able to be with us, with us. Jesus' name, Emmanuel, God with us. That's his agenda. That's his goal. And if he was willing to give him very his very self in order to make that happen, to actually suffer and die to make that happen, he is not going to leave you alone now, even though it feels like it. Absolutely. Relentless is about the presence of a God who never leaves. And that is the message of this book. That's the message of your heart. And I know I'm encouraged, Michelle, after hearing that. Um, I'm feeling poured into, so thank you so much. I'm listening to it on audio. I have the book too, but I also, you know, sometimes you just need to hear it. And, yeah. you're, and I you're, wrote it myself. I read you the did. I was, yeah, 
And which is funny for a girl who talks funny, but I'm like, why not? Why not? This is proof of God's presence and provision. It's like, it's like my own altar stones, right? So you even, you even talked about that at the beginning of the audiobook. <laughs> you said, for those of you who don't know, <laughs> I did add a bunch of ad lib content to the audiobook. You can't get anywhere else. So it's kind of fun to, it's kind of like we're just walking through these hard times together. Oh, I love it so much. Okay. So we're going to have in the show notes um, the links to everything, but just in general, where can people get in touch with you? The easiest way to get in touch with me is my website, which is michellecachat.com. You can actually go to the the page on Relentless. There's a bunch of resources there. And that's michellecachat, that's one L, two T's, dot com forward slash Relentless. And you can get all kinds of info about the book. If you want to just connect in real life on social media, Instagram's the best place to find me. And that's just instagram.com forward slash michellecachat. Oh, thank you so much. I know I love your heart. I love connecting with you. And I just love how um, you just pour into us. And that I, that's so meaningful. So thank you so much, Michelle. Same. I love you to pieces, Trisha. One of my favorites. Love, oh, love you too, friend. Friend, I don't know about you, but my mind is blown. And that is exactly what I needed to hear today. I needed that message from Michelle, that message of hope, even when we are in dark places. Now, I want to repeat what Michelle said, because I think this is so powerful. And as a mom who has adopted kids from hard places, and Michelle's also a mom who's adopted kids from hard places, um, this really blew my mind today. Michelle said, the biggest indicator of healing from significant childhood trauma is the presence of one stable, significant other. What a child who has attachment needs or is recovering from abuse or neglect, what he or she needs is safe relationship. And those who have at least one safe, stable relationship are more likely to heal and have a happy, productive adult life. What's so fascinating, Michelle says, is to me that the entire story of the gospel is one of humanity being marked by trauma and God determining to be the one safe, stable, significant other that rescues it. Okay, let's just put a bow on that and wrap it up. That is so important. I think it's so amazing. Um, But those are the messages that Michelle is getting as she's turning it to God. We don't have to have all the answers, but we have to have faith and continue to turn to Him. Um, The Walk It Out verse today is, actually I had written this down even before Michelle um, recited it is Romans 8 35 and 30, or 37 through 39 who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it is no coincidence that the very first thing in that scripture it says, what shall separate us shall trouble or hardship. And I think when we are feeling like we're in trouble or feeling the hardship, we do feel separated from God. So I just want you to encourage you today to turn to him if you are feeling separated or disconnected to turn to God. And let me pray for you today. Dear God, I just thank you so much for my friend. I thank you that even in the midst of our pain and our hardship, 
you are there. I thank you for your presence, Lord. And there are times I know when I don't feel your presence, and that's where faith comes in, the faith that you are there, even when I don't have the answers. I pray for my friends who are going through a hard time right now, that they may cling to you in faith, even when they don't have the answers. And Michelle is just an example to us. Michelle faced the hardship, faced the darkness, faced the questions, felt like giving up. And in the book, Relentless, she goes so much more into that. And she has turned it around where she's encouraging and helping other people. And that is not easy. And I know that the strength comes to you. We are not even crawling in our hands and knees to you, God. Sometimes we just need to be carried by you. I pray for the listeners today who may be feeling discouraged. I pray for Michelle. I pray for her ministry. I pray for her physical pain, Lord, that in amazing ways you will help her. Um, that chronic pain that she feels, to, to I pray for it to go away, Lord. I just pray for that. I pray for her healing, God, in ways that she can't even imagine, Lord. I pray a blessing over her children and my children from hard places. I pray that in all these things you may be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, friend, I am so thankful for you, and I'm thankful for you tuning in. I'm thankful for you sharing my podcast and sharing hope with others. Maybe you know someone who um, needs this hope today. You can send them a link from my website. You can just go to trishagoyer.com and look for the podcast button or walkitoutpodcast.com. You can just send a link from there and let your friend know that you you don't have um, maybe simple words, but you want to offer them hope if they're going through a hard time. Thank you so much for tuning in and sharing these messages of hope. I pray you may be encouraged. Thanks for listening to Walk It Out. Head over to the show notes for this podcast and all past episodes at www.walkitoutpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with someone you know who can make a radical difference in the world. We love new friends. See you next time.